This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face Europe-chasing West Ham in a bid to secure that Premier League survival. This is the None and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the None Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week are two regular panellists, one of whom we've not seen for a while. Welcome to the analysis show, young George and Robbie. Hi. Robbie, we've not seen you for ages. I know, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while, but you know, quality, we we still want quality, not quantity, Robbie, so we're very glad to have you back. Um, George, we see you all the time, but nice to have you back on, sir. Nice to be on. Nice to be speaking with Robbie. Look at he's dancing and... at me. Listeners, he's dancing at me. <laughs> I was dancing. It's a shame when you said it's nice to see you again. Well, you don't see me because obviously we're just an audio podcast, so my dancing goes to waste. <laughs> we are, but producer Matt does record the video in the background, you know, so at some point you might get a little bit of a, a George dance put out there on social media, so, so keep your eyes paid. Actually, I don't remember the last time you two were on together. Have you done it this season, the two of you? I don't think you have, have you? Uh, we did. We did like a... I'm I think we really might have on. when we it was just me and George just chatting rubbish. I think we did a solo one, yeah. Oh, it was. It was when I, was I on holiday or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we, we it was just chat. after West Brom away. I think. Yeah, it was. I do remember that. Goodness me. Yeah, you did a good job. Well, I'm I'm here to keep an eye on you both this week because you know it just went chaos. If I remember rightly, that was some mammoth task that young uh, Matt, our producer Matt, had to knit mm-hmm. together after you'd done it. So at least we, we might have some calm here. Um, well, we are, of course, here on the, the analysis show to discuss this weekend's results. Bank holiday Monday, Clarets were home to West Ham. Back down to earth with a bump, I'm afraid, Clarets, as the team fell to a 2-1, 2-1, 3-1, 3-1, didn't it, in the end? 2-1, 3-1, 2-1, it was 2-1. My God, listeners, we're two minutes and two seconds into the podcast and I'm already losing my marbles. Uh, the Clarets fell 2-1 to, quite frankly, a rampant West Ham side, um, albeit a very good game. Um, disappointing, I think. Uh, George, let's start and come to you first. Disappointing to lose the game and to sort of like be a bit deflated after that uh, fantastic result the week before. But actually, weirdly, a thoroughly enjoyable game. Yeah, it's just especially a shame to lose after being 1-0 up and thinking, oh, here we go, you know, beating a decent side here. Um, and especially when it's we've broken this new record of 
longest winless run in the top flight at Turf Moor in a very long time since before the Premier League existed. So it's a shame, shame to lose on that front. But to be honest, and I think we've we've all said the same in the group chat last night. It was a thoroughly enjoyable game. I I absolutely loved it. I think I think in the last few weeks because we've been playing on a Sunday all the time, and I work on a Sunday lunchtime, so I've not I've not watched us in ages. So mm. last night it was I just absolutely loved watching watching us, and I think after the Super <laughs> League stuff, I think I've sort of like or like maybe take more note of this season a bit rather than just letting it fly by without fans. And I just love last night. Obviously, it's a shame to lose, but I thought both teams were competitive. Both played good football. Both didn't just throw themselves to the ground like we see most other teams do every week. So, honestly, I'd be happy enough if West Ham got got top got top four after that. It was a lovely game to watch. Yeah, it was, and I think that's a really important point, Robbie. One of the one of the things that a lot of fans were looking at a few weeks ago when we weren't quite clear of the relegation zone yet, and we're all a little bit worried about where the points were going to come from. Um, there were some fans who were absolutely adamant that we were going to get three points, like that we were easily going to beat West Ham at home. And I was never in that camp because I've been following them this season and I was following their progress. Um, and even that, though, yesterday, it did still surprise me just how slick an operation they've become. Yeah, they're a good side. I, I think you look at their their recruitment in the summer. Obviously, they brought in like Kufal, who you know Dwight McNeil had a really tough game up against him. Mm, yeah, he did. Um, ben, I think Ben Rama's a really good player. Obviously, I think is a player we probably would have wanted, or us fans would have would have liked us to be in for. But like, he's just different class. Antonio just loves to score against us anyway. Oh God! And then I thought like four and out. I, when I saw four and outs was playing central midfield, I actually fancied us. So I didn't think he was that much of a a, a workman type central midfielder. I, I had him more as a, a a selfish attacking midfielder who wouldn't track back. But he was excellent as well. We just couldn't cope with their midfield five, I suppose. But yeah, I think George mentioned there just the home record. You know that someone says it's not really it's not really like us to lose so many games at home. I, I can't think when was our last home? Was it Villa at home? Uh, yeah, it will be. Won't God? That's a long time. Ago, is that what that? it was? Yeah, it must be Villa. Yeah. I, I know. I've, obviously, a few fans of uh, I saw it on Twitter after the game, like sort of mentioned they were concerned about our home form, but it it does feel like the pandemic has affected every single Premier League club. Like you look at Liverpool, for example, they lost six home games on the bounce just after we beat them. You know, Leeds won at the Etihad recently. It, and Man United have struggled at home this season. It does feel like the home stuff is like across the board. So I'm not too concerned about that. Just just picking up on a quick point there, Robbie, actually, you mentioned about um, not being a bit swamped a bit in midfield and not really coping with their formation. Do you think it was the right call last night to stick with a 4 4 Because as much as it worked the week before, I, I definitely felt we were getting lost a little bit in midfield. And I think I would have probably preferred to go back to 4-5-1. I felt like it was maybe a bit of a a, a, a mistake in terms of, of um, tactics. I, th- I think it, during the second half, yeah. I think I can understand pre-match why you would go 4-4-2 and not change anything because the Wolves game was so perfect. Um but yeah, there was a there was a period in the second half where you just felt like West Ham's third goal was inevitable, mm. and we were just hanging on. And it, I would have preferred to see maybe Josh Brownhill play behind Wood. And I think it was uh, when Gunmanson come on, he he were better on he were better off coming on for, for Vidra. 
yeah. rather than Jay coming on and maybe just going for a five. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and complain about tactics and stuff because I can no, totally sure. understand why we why we didn't change it. Yeah, and, and that's that's the problem at the moment is is it you know sometimes you just got to hold your hand up and think well we just got we just faced a better side and if we had yeah. changed that tactics and gone stronger in midfield he would have just changed it again and you know would have probably the, the result was inevitable. Um, George, that said, we did take the lead and it was our man again, Chris Wood, who scored quite frankly a phenomenal penalty. I thought it was a superb effort. Um, was it a penalty for you? Um, were you? I, I've got to admit, when I first saw it at full speed, I was absolutely sure. But when it got when it got slowed down to certain angles, I was starting to worry a bit that we might get it this overturned by VAR. What was your view on said penalty incident? Well, well, luckily I was too busy celebrating to see those uh, slow mos. <laughs> I, I was happy enough. <laughs> uh, absolutely brilliant work from uh, Chris Ward. I mean, obviously Thierry Henry picked it out at half time, but he got on the he got on the the side of. Um, the centre back was it Diop, and um, but he was facing away from goal. It looked completely not dangerous at all, and then he just cleverly flicked it over his head and just obviously spanned the centre back the wrong way, oh, and it threw amazing. it threw the whole defence into chaos. And that's when obviously he got brought brought down for the penalty. So it was really brilliant work from Wood. Uh, he's been in fine form recently, hasn't he? I mean, he got yeah. <laughs> we play ultimate team in our house, so we had the team of the week. Chris Wood uh, snapped up in this past in the past few days. We bought him for our team. And, you know, he's just been on fire. And the penalty, I've got absolutely full faith in him because the the one, the one time, I think the penalty that I most treasure over anything else was Olympiacos away. And I just remember he was on the spot. And at the time I was thinking, oh, bl- bl- yeah. I don't want Chris Wood to take this. And I, and I, I shouted, don't F this up, Burnley. And before, and before every penalty since, I've said the same thing because he scored that night and he scored last night. Bottom corner. Keeper got a hand to it, but... With that power and in the bottom corner, it takes a very good keeper to stop it. So, just a brilliant penalty from Wood, and it's good to see him and Vidya working so well. And I think both of them were superb again last night. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to come back onto them in a minute, but I just want to just take a moment just to reflect on that almighty mess up you made of trying to bleep your own swearing there. You realise that you actually just changed the wrong word. Hell was the word that you weren't. So you actually said the swear word and then went heck. Listeners, you won't hear all of this because producer Matt will have bleeped it all out, but that was some spectacular way of trying to self-mute, George. Um, But anyway, moving on, Robbie. Um... (laughs) As does George. Your dad will be so disappointed in you, George. Um, as he quite rightly put on, a quick moment to reflect on Chris Wood and Matty Vidra. I wholeheartedly agree. By far my favourite combination up front at the moment. And I was absolutely gutted for Matty when he got taken off. And his little face in the stand, he was so sad. I was shaking his head like, no. Um, I, to me, I do think that was a mistake. Um, I think those two, if you're going to stick with 4-4-2, I think they should have just stuck with them. I don't really know what Jay brought that Matty didn't have? Yeah, I think Jay probably offers you a little bit more in the air in terms of like maybe linking up play and holding the ball up. I think that might have been in the thinking. But he didn't know that's the problem. No, if I mean Jay's been out of form pretty much all season, really. He had a he had his he, he had the big moment for us in the second half and he just couldn't find the back of the net. But that sort of summed him up this season. But yeah, I mean Vidra's been I don't think it was one of Vidra's better games last night, but even when he's not quite on it, you can see the threat that he offers. I think the way he runs channels is really intelligent. The link-up play with Chris Wood's really good. And 
there was a moment in the first half where he lobbed it over the keeper, but they got back to clear off the line. But it was just that, that it was just one of those oh, yeah, moments where that was the only moment where he really got in behind the West Ham defence. Yeah, I think that's probably, I think that's probably fair, really. Um, t- turning then, sticking with you, Robbie, for a while. Talking then, obviously. The, the goals themselves, the, the two that we can skate. I mean, obviously, we did, our lead didn't last very long to, to go 1-0 ahead. Um, I think I think the second goal, I think we can probably be a little bit disappointed with in terms of just switching off in terms of defence. But I think certainly the first goal as well just felt to me like the defence were uncharacteristically just ball-watching a little bit and they just weren't quite switched on. That's fair. Yeah, I think we were too deep. I think, I think obviously, obviously mm. Dwight got caught uh, in possession is in, in quite a dangerous area. Um, so then he Dwight obviously does his bit to try and get back, but our back four were on like the edge of this six yard box, and I, I just don't think we we just didn't really get back into like a good shape or anything like that. And then the second one was also a bit of a mess where Matt Lawton goes down in the box for some weird reason and. Chris Wood is like covering at centre back and Ben Mee's at right back and it's just a bit of a mess for both goals. I think yeah. Dyche alluded to it in both in, in the post match press conference, both goals were a bit sloppy, but other than that, wasn't an awful lot wrong with our general performance. No, I think that's really fair actually. And I and I think you kind of look at it and you think, well, considering that we lost the game and again we we lost from a winning position again, which is always disappointing. I couldn't. I couldn't really highlight any of our players as having yeah. a stinker at all. I, I didn't. You know, everybody just played well. It's just. It's really hard. And this is starting to sound a little bit like a West Ham podcast, George, because we're getting. We're getting very. You know, we're just being very complimentary. But it was just. It's just really hard to find fault with a performance when we just got beat by a better side and one who had perhaps more to play for than we did. I know we're not mathematically safe yet, and I know, and I'm going to share with our listeners a minute what uh, Tom did to me at the end of last week's recording, which was hilarious. Uh, not that hilarious, actually. It really gave me nightmares, but I'll share that in a second. Um, but it's looking it's looking lightly. I think the stats are saying that there's only a 1% chance of us being relegated, 2% chance of Newcastle getting relegated, and a 96% chance of Fulham, get, Fulham getting relegated. But even despite all, you know, so it, the chances are we, we're not going to go down. So I just wonder whether that was perhaps a contributing factor. You know, if, if you just beat by a better side, you know, they had to win to to keep that European push. We were kind of done. Do you think that's for, I don't know, I don't know that's been a bit harsh. What do you think, George? I, I think, you know, it's, it's fairly chill for us, to be fair. Like, we're not going to go down. It's, it is fine. But at the end of the day, I think it'd be silly to look at the game and think, oh, it was a sign of, like, players not trying. I think it was just a really good game between two decent teams. And I think no. there's been some criticism of, like, certain players like Lawton. I've seen um, J-Rod in particular, which I think people are just completely blowing out proportion. Like, I think it's just the issue The issue with Jay this season is that he's, he's, he's not got a run in the team yet. Uh, he's been out of form at times, but when he comes on, he comes on and we just we're always losing the game. So he comes on and we just lump the ball up to him, and he can't actually do much with it. I mean, we're we're singing the praises of Vidra now, but Vidra hardly ever did anything when he came off the bench because it's just a a hard position for a striker to be in. To you only get to touch the ball maybe three or four times in twenty or ten minutes, so it's hard to actually prove anything. So I think people are being very harsh unnecessarily on Rodriguez, and I thought it's just a, a decent display by everyone. Sorry, George, can I just stop you there? 
I forgive me, and, and I don't know how many of our listeners have, have have had this as well. I I decided to join the social media blackout this weekend, so I literally just muted all my apps and put them in a folder that I couldn't be tempted to look at. So I haven't. I wasn't tweeting. I wasn't even looking on social media during the game, and I've got no idea what fans. But I've heard this from a few people now. People saying that there's been some some real shade thrown at Jay. What, what's been said? I don't understand the point. Yeah, well, I was, I was the same as you. I looked after midnight and, <laughs> and scrolled back and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> but it was like, it was just like, you know, just a standard like FIFA, not FIFA, like the sort of like YouTube and like FIFA generation of like having like Westwood as the profile picture. And it was like, it, it was like, if I never see Jay again in a Burnley shirt, I'll be happy. Or he can go at the end of the season, stuff like that. And I just think it's a sign oh. of, I just think it's a sign of like the modern times in that away from football, just in general, people just want, short-term benefit or glory and like at the end of the day Rodriguez has had one bad season like he's gonna have a 15-year career who gives a like I'll be happy if he's here next season because he looked really good last season and it's just a case of not getting the minutes on the pitch this year I reckon yeah sorry just to interrupt I think with football now as well it's like um everyone if, if you lose a game there automatically has to be a scapegoat Regardless of how you play it, there always has to be a scapegoat. Yeah. And last night it was Matty Lawton, it was Jay Rodriguez, uh, Josh Brownhill, even though he's been sh- shafted in three or four different positions this year. You know, if Jack, like Jack, I thought Jack Cork was excellent last night, and he got some criticism as well. Like Jack Cork is so intelligent. Like there was a moment where um, someone was closing him down from behind. Jack Cork just knew he was there and just spun him and just distributed the ball out wide. And, like, some people just don't see, like, little things like that. Yeah. And, like I said, you lose a game against a side pushing for the top four. Clearly a better side than us. They deserve to win on the night. But there has to be a scapegoat. So, yeah, Matt Lawton, he was rubbish. Joe Rodriguez, rubbish. Vidra, he didn't score. He was rubbish. Chris Wood, he cost us £16 million. He scored 11 goals this season. He was rubbish. It's always got to be a scapegoat. And it never has to be. Like, just... Be gracious in defeat, go. Yeah, we got beat by the better side. Yeah, I think that's definitely the the attitude that we had in our group chat, and I think that's that's very much where we all were. I mean, I think there were a couple of points where I was being perhaps super critical, um, just and not from a, a negative perspective, but more from a these are the things that I want to see the side improve on. I think sometimes we can be a little bit wasteful in possession. Um, You don't get spells of possession that much in the Premier League. And we seem to have this obsession with playing at a thousand miles an hour and you can't have more than one touch and everybody's got to ping it to each other all the time. And, you know, you can see full passages of of play of about six or seven passages and, and nobody's, sorry, six or seven passes and nobody's got control of the ball at any point in that spell. And it's things like that, but they're not things to to look at now and go, oh my God, we're so rubbish at that. It's it's right, okay, that's that's something that we need to work on next season. You know, in those instances where we get possession, how can we be a little bit more controlled and how can we be a little bit less wasteful? But then, George, you see a team like West Ham and they're doing that and they've already nailed that. So they're further ahead than we are in that development, which is why they're winning those games. And they're pushing for, like, the fifth in the league, for goodness sake, and they're going for Europe. Um, So with that in mind, surely we should be approaching this as as looking at a team like West Ham and saying, that's where we want to get to. That's that's who we want to be. Yeah, it's just sad, that, isn't it, really? I don't know. Just for, for me, like, I just find that sad. The fact that two years ago we were, even last season, just miles better than them. And it's just like, 
two years of sort of stagnation and sort of like obviously not spending in transfer windows and now we're sort of left behind by all these teams. It's really sad. I mean, remember when we went to West Ham and we won 3-0 and they were protesting on the pitch and all that. Yeah. I mean, God, it feels like a million miles away. But I think West Ham's like um, attacking lineup just it, it's something to behold, really. Obviously, Robbie mentioned it earlier, Ben Rama. I think loads of fans were would have loved to have had him in the summer, but again, it was like a twenty million oh, transfer. Yeah. We spent one million. It, it's just not going to happen. But they've got Antonio, who I've uh, criticised in the past, but he's looking decent at the moment. Uh, ben Rama, Lanzini's been a brilliant player for a few years now for West Ham, and then obviously bringing in the likes of Lingard on loan and having Jared Bowen another one in the summer or whenever we moved to West Ham, I think it was in January. Who I was like, I wish we'd have signed him. So it's just it's just a case of. They're a team who attract decent players. Moyes has done good a good job with them this season. And hopefully with ALK, we can put some pressure on and maybe sign the sort of likes of Jared Bowen in the future and maybe we can improve in that direction. But I think it would just be interesting to see what we do this summer because for a few years now we've been sort of, you know, not doing anything in transfer windows. And last night, if, if Alan Pearce mm. wanted a representation of how things have got to where they want they are, just look at last night and yeah. compare it to when we played West Ham a couple of years ago. You'll just see what a lack of transfer uh, money does to a club. Yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, there's another example that's even shorter than that. Look at Villa this season. You know, look at, you know, in, you know when they were up last season, they nearly went down last year. We were by far a better side than them last season. And then this season, you know, we can't, they're miles better than we are. That's just one season. No, I'm gonna contra- I'm gonna contradict myself here. Actually, <laughs> I'm gonna say that sometimes you know. You <laughs> well done. You can't you can't read into like just one season. Sometimes, like I'm saying, all oh, West Ham have left us behind. But you know, they've had one good season. We were better than last season. Villa again, one good season. It doesn't mean next season they're gonna kick on. So I think sometimes you gotta. May I'm reminding myself now. You gotta sort of take a step back and think. Oh, you know, it's one season. <laughs> like, look, we finished seventh. We finished seventh once one one year, and we were amazing. You know, it doesn't necessarily happen the next year. So I think uh, I think there will be a different outlook on this next season with or without transfer spending. There you go. What a wonderful full circle that came there, listeners. You just managed to be witness to George's own therapy session there where he managed to make his point and talk his way out of it all at the same time. This is this is what this is what the Known and Ever podcast does. It's a form of release, it's a form of therapy. You can talk your talk through your Clarets Wars. Um so let's pause there because that's something we do want you to do. Um if you've got any comments to make on the points we've talked about so far, you know how to get in touch. You can tweet us at Known and Ever or you can email us at podcast at Known and Ever. We want to know what you thought of that performance um, on Monday. Do you agree with the panel? Was it just beaten by a better side? Um, Did you think that we played well or do you disagree? Do you think we played poorly and we could have got something from the game? Um, Is Jay Rodriguez the the sum of all evil? Who knows? Um, But do get in touch and let us know what your thoughts are on that. Robbie, that it would have been nice last night to at least got a point or even better three points just to completely wrap up um, survival this season. I've already mentioned this so far. Um, we've got 12 points to play for now, four games left, and the Clarets sit nine points ahead of Fulham, who take up that 17th place at the moment. Um, whilst you can look at that on one um, 
limb and say, okay, well, you know, so this, this, it's still not mathematically safe yet. There's 12 points. You know, they could win all of their games. They've got to win three out of their four games and we've got to lose them all. That's This is the way this is going. And uh, when you look at those odds, that you know, it's 96% chance that Fulham are going to go down. Um, I said I would share this to you before, Robbie, and this is what... So listeners who were listening to last week's um, analysis show will know that I was declaring safety in another season in the Premier League and I was happy, happy, Harry. As soon as we came off record, Tom said to me, Natalie, what are you going to do if Fulham beat Chelsea this weekend, we lose to West Ham and Fulham beat us next weekend? And I suddenly had an almighty panic where I was like... <gasps> Oh my God. But obviously, clearly they didn't beat Chelsea because they were never going to. Um, but it's still, it, you know, it, we, we haven't mathematically done yet. So I'm going to put this question to you. How do you feel if Fulham beat us at the weekend? Because that's the next game. We're away at Fulham as well. They have to win. If they don't win, they're down, um, essentially. If we get to five o'clock after the game on Saturday and we've got beaten by Fulham, there's three games left and it's just six points and we've got to play some kind of tough fixtures. How are you feeling? Hypothetically. I, I still think it's, it's it'll be the same situation what I've found myself in the last maybe four or five weeks where I don't think we're necessarily in danger of going down, but we're just looking over our shoulder where we don't need to be. Where and I'll I'll look back at results where it's like a bloody Southampton game we're two 0 up, that Newcastle game we're one 0 up. Like this should be done and dusted. Yeah. And I think I'd be more be more of a, a kicking myself kind of mentality rather than in any real concern of Fulham winning three more games because at the end of the day I think we'll go to Sheffield United on the last day and win. Oh really? You're quite um, happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 who, who else have we got? We've got Liverpool. Who's the other one? Um, have a go where our games are. Fulham. Uh, da, 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 da. You're going to have to. <laughs> We're proper fans, aren't oh we? We're proper God. fans. It's not just that. True fans. I just think, I think, I think I just, I'm getting old. I think my brain's going. So we play Fulham. I oh, Leeds, that's it. We play Fulham away. Leeds. Then we're at home to Leeds. Then we're at home to Liverpool. And then we're away at Sheffield United. So, I mean, mm. they're not. Leeds are a bit hit and miss, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, but also you could genuinely see us winning two, losing two. So let's say we lose against Leeds and Liverpool, but we beat Fulham and, and Sheffield yeah. United. That is obviously the six points that we need that will take us to... I mean, our away form recently has been an awful lot better than our home form. That's like, true. Palace away was really good. Wolves away were really good. Yeah, that's Southampton true. in the first half, that was really good. So I do I, I do think we have enough. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more than confident that we'll win at least one of our final three or four games. You think one 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 win's going to do it? Thirty nine yeah. points survive. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, George, I think I think Robin made an interesting point there though. Is that you know I just I just don't want us to to limp survival in seventeenth and be the best you know, like the best of the rest like the worst of the rest. You know what I mean? It's like mm. I don't mm. I want us to finish up the table as high as possible. And it, I know that sounds harsh because how many times have we also said this season that we just want this blooming season to be over and done with? But I just it would feel like a real shame if we just after all the progress we've made if we just finish seventeenth on like thirty seven thirty eight points, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, I'm going to do a cheeky plug here because I wrote about this in the New Clarence Trust newsletter. Um, so, Ooh. yeah, that's out now, the April edition. Go, go read it. Um, so I did like a little season go review. Read it. Go read it. Yeah, I did like a little season review this season. And I said, and <laughs> you, you can tell, you'll be able to tell you, I, I wrote it just after our house watched one of, uh, watched the first Harry Potter. Because <laughs> I talked about the Mirror of Erised. And the Mirror of Erised, Harry Potter looks into and it reveals the deepest desires of the heart. So I said, oh, if you looked into that for a Burnley season, what would the deepest desires be? And I said, it wouldn't just be surviving in the Prem every season with this boring, oh, well, let's scrape over the line and let's maybe beat Fulham and finish 17th. It would be, you know, pushing for top 10 and maybe the occasional, like, amazing season like we had a few years ago. So I think it would be disappointing. But at the end of the day, this season, the highest we're going to get is, like, 13, 14th. It's not... It's not like it's not the heavy heights, really, isn't it? Is it? I'm I'm not that fussed. So I think I'm just in the camp. Get this season over with. Get fans back next year. Improve our home form, and maybe you know go again next season with a better mm. squad, fans in the ground, and starting from scratch rather than a, a rubbish season behind us. So you know we're safe now. Hopefully we beat Fulham just because it'd be a bit embarrassing to lose that game, and hopefully see finish the season on a bit of a high. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting when talking about that fans thing, though. I, to be honest with you, George, I'm not paying a massive amount of attention to this eight defeats at home stat because it's just like, to me, this season, home and away means absolutely naffle. It's got to be different next year. Well, yeah, you'd hope so. Well, I say at the beginning, yeah. didn't I? You'd hope it'd be better next season. Oh, did you? Just, sorry, Robbie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast where... You know, Liverpool lost six, seven game, home games on the bounce. You know, Leeds won at the Etihad yeah. a couple of weeks ago. United have struggled at home all season. Um, West Brom put five past Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Like the the home form this year yeah, across the board is mental. Yeah. So I just I don't think it's worth like analysing at all. There you go, George. Never mind. Stand down. Robbie has spoken. Robbie has said, not worth analysing at all. Um, final thoughts then, uh, Robbie, from you, since we'll, we'll come back to you since you were being, you're being, you're being sassy tonight, Robbie. I like it. This is what we've missed. This is why we want you on more often. We like sassy, Robbie. Um, final thoughts then. We're going into the last four games of the season. Um, hopes for the season. Hopes for the end of the season. What do you want, what do you want to see out of the next four games? I, I think what we've basically seen in the last, maybe for the last few weeks, but just getting on the right side of the results, I think that's all we can ask for, really. Um, because I, I I thought we played well against Newcastle, thought we played all right against Southampton. You know, we played all right last night. It's just the case of getting on the right side of those results. It's literally, as Sean Dyche says, it's fine margins. Mm. So I, I think if we can get on the right side of them, pick up maybe four or five points, then, yeah, I'll be relatively pleased with that. Yeah. George, same for you. Avoid defeat. Avoid defeat at Fulham because Fulham are naff, so it'd be an embarrassment to lose Fulham. <laughs> and, and, then, and Chef United. Yeah, and then hopefully go to Chef United on the final day of the season and turn up there and, you know, just kick them while they're down, get the three points, end the season on a high. And then, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Chef United. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously go into the off-season and hopefully uh, maybe get a few signings under our belt, but that's a long way off yet. Yeah, it is. A quick interesting point, actually, just before we move on to some wider footballing points. It's getting to that time of year, George, where where the club's going to start. And I don't even know if the voting's gone up yet because it usually coincides with the Player of the Year awards. Um, player of the season is going to be a tough one this year. 
I think it's got to be Chris Wood, surely. I don't I don't really know who else I would give it to. You know, it's interesting you've actually just said that because uh, Burnley literally just tweeted about it 40 minutes ago. Uh, cash your vote now. No, yeah. you're joking. Yeah, so I don't know if you've been paid oh by Oh my the God, internet. nobody's going to believe <laughs> yeah, me. Def- Nobody is going to believe me that that's <laughs> Yeah, what a, what a <laughs> cheeky plug that was, Natalie. How much are you getting paid here? Are you on commission? <laughs> Listeners, I swear to God, I did not know that. And I have not really even been on Twitter all day because I've only just come out of the social media blackout. That is hilarious. I Honestly, I wrote it on my script for tonight to put Pit Player of the Year. Um, I, I, well, carrying on the question anyway. Thanks, George, dropping me in it there. Um, Chris Wood, surely, I think it's got to be the... I, I can't... There's not really been a standout player, has there, really? I think they've all put in a collective effort. They've all no. had spells out of form they've all had spells where they've been in form but you know Wood's got the goals I think it has to be him doesn't it yeah I I think so I think there was a spell in the season when um, I know it feels like three years ago now at least to me when Ben Mee came back from injury and it was we'd been awful at the start of the season and he came back and we went on a a good run and it was like he'd shored up the defence but I think you know he's not been as it was last season no no that was this season as well I'm sure I wrote about it it was like it was this season. Yeah. Was it this yeah, season as like well? The first like yeah. five games. Yeah, we start. We start. Yeah, we, yeah, we started with Kevin Long and yeah. Jimmy Dunn at Leicester. Yes. Oh my god! Exactly. So that, we did. That, that, you know what? It felt like three years ago. Apologies, I, I blanked that out my brain. <laughs> it feels like yeah. so long ago. <laughs> yeah, first first home game against yeah, Southampton. First home game against Southampton. Then two. It was scary watching us. Oh my lord! Dale Stevens' debut. Christ! Dale Stevens played a year. And tell Richard, there you go. I'd legit, honestly, I was looking through Rich- the, I was looking through the, um, the bench last night because I was, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten that much that not only I'd forgotten that Dale Stevens played for us, but I turned around to, to Mr. Bromley and I went, oh god, that's a really defensive, um, defensive uh, bench. I said, and we've, we've not got like, any like midfield options at all. And Mr. Bromley was like, uh, Dale Stevens. I was like. Christ, yeah. Forgot he played for us. Also forgot he was a midfielder. Never mind. <laughs> I had so, the yeah, same, same realisation with our bench last night. I saw him and I was like, oh, wow, he's not played for us in a good few months now. He's just not even made an appearance. So, yeah, I think Ben I Mee, obviously, he did have an impact <laughs> in the first half of the season, but then he's, he, he made a couple of mistakes and he's not been as, like, stellar, I wouldn't say, this second half of the season. Pope, again, he's not, you know, he had an amazing season last season. We've just not got as many clean sheets this year. I think there is no standout player because it's not been an amazing season. But Chris Wood, four seasons in a row getting 10 or more goals in the Premier League. An astounding achievement. And he's one of only six strikers to have done so in the last four years. Uh, alongside the likes of, you know, your, your big names like Harry Kane, mm-hmm. Salah and stuff. Um, so I, I think Chris Wood, just for his consistency for us and just for the way how, when we've been struggling in the last few months, he's been the one to get the goals. And he's sort of just gotten us over the line, I think, in a way. Especially with that Wolves game. So yeah, yeah he'd get my, he's going to get my vote when I vote tonight because I've been told by Natalie to do it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Purely coincidental. Um, Robbie's nodding his head at me quite enthusiastically over the video, so I'm presuming that Robbie's also going with Chris Wood. Um, but Robbie George just mentioned a, a something there about defence and and obviously Ben Me and and talking not quite looking as as rigid in defence as we sometimes like them to be, which re- prompted me to remember the conversation we had just before we came on the air. We had a bit of a, a conversation pre-recording about the balance between being too defensive and being not the most entertaining of football, but sometimes getting us the points we need in terms of a draw or maybe just a 1-0 win and edging it. Um, and we talked about the 
the strategy of opening up the play a little bit recently and trying to play a bit more expansive football and creating a few more chances and how that then comes at the expense of leaving our defenders a little bit more exposed than they're perhaps used to and conceding more goals. So I guess the question I was going to put to you was, given that that's the way we want to go, we want to strive to be more attacking and more open, more of a threat in open play, do we accept that for a few seasons we might end up being around 15th, 16th in the table whilst we adapt to that style of play and bring in the better quality players who will be able to improve us in that area? Is that the sacrifice? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, it's a, we're in a weird situation where we've got the Chris Wood and Vidra partnership up front, which is blossoming, and it's been a, re- a real... It's probably been one of the highlights of this season, to be honest, the Vigible partnership. Um, there is... We, we do need to sort out the gap between the back four and the midfield four. Um, I think it was evident last night where four and hours on Lingard were just getting in between the lines far too easily, and that's where the goals come from for West Ham. Um, we did it at Old Trafford where we played with a midfield three and had Josh Brown Hill as more of the advanced midfielder. And we looked a little bit more solid and we still looked a threat on the break. Whether that would be something we do against Fulham, maybe, because obviously, as I said, against West Ham. But do you sacrifice the Wood Vidra partnership? And I think that's mm. probably in the back of Sean Dyche's mind right now, especially it'd be so harsh on Vidra because he's waiting for a chance where, and he's taken his yeah. chance. And now, and now he's in danger of losing his place through due not to no fault of his own. It's probably due to Sean Dyche, you know, having a different, you know, philosophy on game and being more expansive. So it is a weird one. I, I don't really know what what I'd do in his shoes. I'm glad I'm not having to. Sh- Make the decision, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad. I, I I spend most of my days being very glad that I don't have to make decisions and I'm not Sean Dash for, for various reasons. Um, would you agree with that, George? I mean, I know you... I actually can't remember. Are you more results-orientated or are you more entertainment-orientated? I feel like you might be more results-orientated and that it doesn't really matter how we win as long as we get the points on the board, but I might be doing you disservice there. No disservice here. That's that's my philosophy on football. <laughs> I, I've grown up. Awesome. I've grown up with like Sean Dyche school of football. So, you know, that's right up my street. If we if we go somewhere and absolutely <laughs> scrap a, a one 0 win, you know, there's no sweeter sight in my eyes. I mean, yeah, four five one. That might be a nice little change for us next season. Because some we see a lot of teams like West Ham last 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 night. They play one up front, but then they've got all these dynamic attackers in behind them, and they just absolutely tore mm. them apart all night. So that you know that could be something we sort of. Test that, test the water with, you know, hopefully McNeil stays and then we just need to sign wingers regardless because we've got two crops in our squad. Um, so maybe if we, know, if we get from attacking <laughs> okay. players like that, um, it might be something that we work with. And then if we've got this new, like, a bit more expansive uh, take on the game, you know, it, it could prove fruitful. So as long as we as long as long we stay up and we have some good results, it's fine by me. But let's, let's not go down trying to play like Blackpool. That's what I'm saying. Oh, wow. Gosh, quite right. Amen Amen to that. I wasn't maybe suggesting we're going to try and play like Blackpool. I was thinking more like, you know, City. But, you know, whatever. Whatever, George.
so I'm going to stick with you on this one, actually, George, because moving away from the weekend's game itself and, and moving on to more wider footballing matters, um, we, of course, were robbed of a game on Sunday. Um, I don't think anybody missed this news this week. Of course, the, the anti-European Super League protests of the weekend spilled into the um, stadium on Sunday at... Um, Old Trafford and basically ended the game getting postponed due to lack of, well, not lack of safety, but yeah, major safety fears. Um, George, you've been quite vocal on this to start off with and I know that you um, have um, quite strong views on the borderline, shall we say, what, what fans should and shouldn't be doing. So I guess why don't you kick us off and just give us the take on where you felt the match abandonment and the protests on Sunday left us. Yeah, I thought I thought it was quite interesting how the sky covered it towards the end with the, obviously the postponement. Um because they were they were I think they were sort of well Sooness in particular was referring to like oh there must be something that's happened outside the ground to, to prompt this postponement. But I think all it was was that obviously they couldn't guarantee the safety of the Liverpool coach coming all the way through cent- central Manchester to, to get to the game. So I think the postponement was like sort of fair enough in a way, but I think it can be easy to blow it out of proportion of like, oh, they thought the you know the players were in serious danger once they got in the stadium. But I think I think the actual protest itself was brilliant. Uh, obviously, United fans have had enough. They've said for years upon years, and it's not just. I loved how Sunes was trying to just say it was just because they, they're not winning the league anymore. But they've said it's for many years, the majority of them, for stuff like they're not mm. investing in the local area, they're not investing in the stadium. There was a debacle over forcing fans to pay for season tickets and disproportionate pricing. Every, everything that non-football people came into the club and basically have trashed the club in, in a way and the, the relationship with the fans. So I think you know they've obviously had enough as a fan base. And at the end of the day, they wanted um, to create like a global news story saying we're, we're, we're against the Glaciers. And I think, bang on, they absolutely did that. Now, no one's here trying to justify this security guard getting his eye. He got a uh, cut below his eye. I think it was a police officer, sorry. But the actual trespassing. Yeah, it was trespass- Yeah. But the actual going into the ground, getting onto the pitch, absolutely brilliant. You know, they've managed to get onto the TV worldwide. I, I think it's very easy for Sky to... Two weeks ago, support direct action from fans and be all supportive of this fan movement. And then two weeks later, uh, criticise when it goes too far in a rabbit ear air quotes over here. So I think, you know, there's a couple of things which some idiots, obviously, there's always going to be a a minority who obviously hurt this police officer. You know, that's not on. But the actual trespassing, I've got nothing against it. It's really, it's, it's it's a minor infraction in the fight for, you know, a better club for themselves. So I think it's direct action, just like we saw two weeks ago with the uh, the Super League protests. And I thought, it, you know, it did exactly what they wanted to do to do at the start of the day. Of the day. So I was in full support of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Old Trafford is like a 10-minute walk from my flat. And I, I was very tempted to go just to, oh, wow, just to really? see, just sort of see what it was like. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go in the end, but I was very tempted. It was weird actually because I was out driving, I was going back to the flat around the time, and Salford was dead. Like there were no cars on the road. I thought it was going to be chaos. I thought there were going to be police everywhere, but Salford was actually dead. Um, but what was interesting that George mentioned it with you know 
the protest wasn't necessarily against the, the European Super League. That was just the, the final nail of the coffin. It was literally the, the lack of funds around the stadium, the community. When their next door neighbours, the I hate it when people say Man City have oil money. I absolutely hate that. But you look at Man City and the way they've, you know, their training grounds, they've invested in grassroots football, they've invested in uh, local schools around the area. And Man City are probably the best best run club in the world right now. And Man United probably the big, one of the biggest clubs in the world, probably one of the worst run clubs right now with the debt they have. Would you have got, if you had have gone down, Robbie, would you have literally just been in a, in a spectator observing or have the events of the past couple of weeks just ignited such a a passion for getting control of football generally back into the ideas of fans? Do you think you would have ended up, um, I'm not suggesting in the violent ones, obviously I don't mean that, but in terms of the peaceful protest, do you think you would have ended up getting involved? Uh, well, I signed the 51, the 50 plus one petition uh, I have a few good friends who are big Man United fans, so I signed that on like behalf of them um, because I think it's I think it is something we do us fans do need to take control back of again. Um, but if I was was to go, it would have been more from a spectator. Like I would have been maybe sat back on like yeah. a wall or something, more watching it, more trying to get a few likes on Instagram rather than <laughs> rather than you know trying to wallop Honestly. a police officer in the face, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's weird how you know George mentioned it before about you know it's it was a, a relatively peaceful protest yeah. I believe, but the media always try and twist the narrative by like you know mention the, the the headlines are always about the the one idiot who decided to smash up a Sky broadcast camera and they are and stuff but like that. That they are important I, headlines though Robert you know I and I do think we have yeah. to be very they do have to be very careful. And, you know, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I just do not condone violence in any way, shape or form, whether no. it's committing damage and smashing up a camera, whether it's hurting another police officer, irrespective of how good the intentions are and how important the demonstration, you have to stamp those things out. So I do have some sympathies with um, with the, the broadcasts. Mm. I think they do have to make that point. Um, George, sorry, did you want to just come back in on that point? Yeah, I just thought I thought some I thought some it was interesting how 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 the Sky pundits talked about it after the game, and I thought Carragher was I thought Carragher spoke really well and really balanced in in the way that he he went about it. He obviously said, "Look, there's these idiots, but don't let that distract from you know the the, the aim of today and the fact that you know there obviously there there is going to be some idiots sometimes, but it, it was a it was a peaceful protest on on the whole, and I think it's very easy for Sky to get it wrong sometimes in the fact that they've got these players who have, you know, by nature been professionals for 20 years of their lives. They've not, it's all well and good them talking about fan culture and all this, but they've not been a fan, you know, an actual going fan for nigh on 25 years or more, you know, since they, since they were kids. So I think, I think rather than them talking to the Sky pundits for hours upon hours on, on Sunday, was it? Yeah. On Sunday, they should have just gone and ask yes. the people who were protesting, who were outside, and, and actually got their view on it. And why? Why are you protesting? I mean, it was such a missed opportunity, and it just speaks to the nature of how football fans in general are overlooked. And I think now you were talking about the media, obviously, and Carragher did, Carragher did well to bring up the fact that 
football fans have historically been characterised in a negative way. It's always like the hooligans, this and this and this, and you know they've got blamed for certain stuff that's happened when they shouldn't have been blamed, especially for like uh, Carragher's generation. And and I think why not just go into yeah. the streets and just get a camera on the peaceful protesters outside and say why why are you protesting and just get their view on it. It was such a missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, Robbie's just said COVID protocols might have prevented them from doing that, which is true. And I think it is interesting, just as a post post uh, post event, to think about how there's been less of a focus on the COVID breaks, you know, in the past you know a few months, and hopefully things are getting better. Uh, but you know, it's just something to think yeah. about. Ask the fans, not just focus on the not just focus on Graham Sooness's view, who's not been a fan going. A football going fan for yeah. probably 40 or 50 years so I don't know how old he is and maybe I'm aging him there <laughs> I mean I think I think there's a bit of a cynic in me that that just thinks that Sky were leading the fight against the European Super League and quite rightly as well and the, the vast majority of things that they were saying um were absolutely true and, and really I think they really pitched their support for the supporters perfectly but I'm not naive enough to think for one second that a, a factor that was driving their um what's the word fight against it was the loss of revenue and, and the damage that that would have done to the to the to the premier league product you know sky have got a monopoly on the on the, on the premier league and you know I, I know full well that that would have impacted on it and it did feel a little bit like that again on sunday in that we um uh, that they part of the things about the complaint about the demonstration was is that obviously they've lost revenue because they've not been able to broadcast a game and it was super sunday prime time liverpool against united worldwide audience and obviously they've not been able to, to bring that and, and i think that probably doesn't help things so i i you know I, it's nice to have a big broadcaster like sky on board and bbc and match the day and people who are prepared to not tour the party line and actually prepared to come out and fight for some of these but I'm also, you know, I've also got one eye on the fact that there may very well be ulterior and monetary motives behind some of those. Um, quick point then from, from you, Robert, before we leave it, where, where you know, the dust has settled now in the European Super League. We're a couple of, couple of weeks past. Football is getting back to normal, apart from obviously the demonstration at the weekend, which was obviously more United-led than, than Super League-led. But where do we go from here? There's still the conversation about whether the, the top six are going to be punished. Are we in danger of this just getting forgotten about and we just start again next season as normal? Probably. I think it's like the... Um, well, I can't think what it was that they were the top six were trying to push like 12 months ago. It's, it's I can't think what that was called. It's, that's going to annoy me now. But it does just, it just feel like they got away with that scot-free. They get get away with this scot free. Like you get so many badly run clubs get point deductions, massive fines. Like um like Sheffield Wednesday, for example, I think started this season on minus twelve points. You know, Wigan got relegated from their point because of their point deduction a couple of years ago because of poorly ran. These the top six, like, they should get a point deduction as well and massive fines, but because they are the, you know, they bring in like most of the tourism and the most of the money into the league. Then I just think they'll get away with it again. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Robbie. There, I, I think I think it's just an issue in that in the fact that it can be quickly forgotten about. I know they've dished out 
they've done in the past week that the, the direct the directors involved with the Super Six, so like the Ed Woodwards and stuff, they've been pushed out of the clubs. And I just think we've we're just getting into that sort of stage of now it's been two or three weeks. We've not heard any pushback really, but you've got to put you've got to punish them. Like I don't care about them being oh it's punishing you know the club for for that these people have done. At the end of the day. The people who own the clubs and run the clubs, so your Glaciers and your, your uh, is it the Henrys, you know, the Henry family at Liverpool, the, the fans benefit from their investment into the club. The fans, you can't just pick and choose when you get the consequences of them, that those owners' actions. So while I don't blame the fans, you know, the Wigan fans, and like Robbie said, they've gone through this punishment before and lost, lost points this way. So I think points deduction should happen. I don't think it's going to happen. That's the issue. And I wanted to ask you both really on, on the more fundamental nature of change after this, is that how how likely do you think it is that we do the 50 plus one thing? Because it was interesting on, Gary Neville said on Sunday, he was talking about all the, the reform that the supporters groups and stuff are trying to do and about regulation. But the United fans don't want regulation of the Glaciers. They want the Glaciers out. And Neville said mm. he doesn't think the 50 plus one would work in this country. So I think that's what, what, what I wanted to ask you both, because I know, Natalie, you've got like the legal side of it. Like, I don't know, how, how, how would it work? Would it even be possible? Because I just think that would be something that would obviously fundamentally change football in this country and would be a positive step. But I don't know how likely it is. Uh, I think well, I think first and foremost it's it's highly unlikely um and, and I think probably people talk about the, this has obviously come about because of the German league the German dot this model um but the reality of it is is that the the money isn't there in Germany it's not controlled by um news networks and television revenues and there's nobody there isn't an equivalent of sky in the premier league uh, as they, as they have in the bundesliga yes of course the bundesliga is their main in, in you know their main league and it's televised and they have you know good teams in there that get themselves into the champions league every year but it's not it, it doesn't drive the money and the salaries that the premier league does um so it's an easier it's an easier thing for them to have in Germany because they they don't have serious businessmen at the helm who have financial interests that they need to protect. And I think if we were having this conversation 15 years ago when the Premier League was just starting or even earlier than that when the Premier League was in its earlier days, I think that would have been an easier chat. But now... I think we've gone too far. You know, the the major corporations that and the PLCs that own the some of the biggest clubs in the Premier League, they have absolutely no interest whatsoever in allowing the fans to have any level of say. And, you know, we're going to hopefully try and get Liam to speak to us in the next couple of weeks about some of the stuff that's been happening in the Clarets Trust in the background. Um, it's hard enough for the, the for the Clarets Trust that each club has to just even get information from the clubs, never mind act on it. So I just, I just my view is I just can't see it happening. I don't know how you feel, Robbie. No, I can't see it happening either. Um, I've got family over in Germany, and they, every time I've like visited, I always ask about like how how their football works with a fifty plus one. It just doesn't seem not feasible, but I just don't think it would work over here at all. No, sorry, George. I think we have spoken. It's a no goer. <laughs> Listen, I like I like the idea of it. The romance of of giving football back to the fans sounds amazing, and I've always it's always been a dream to have some element of control over Burnley Football Club. But I, I've I've realised for a long time that is nothing nothing more than a pipe dream. Um, 
but it's an interesting one. Who knows? Um, I'd be, I think it's one of these that we need to keep an eye on. I think my biggest disappointment would be is if this just fizzles out now and we don't hear any more of it and next season just starts as it would do and we just essentially let these clubs get away with it and nothing else is done. Um, I fear that that is going to be the case. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week. I think we should need to be wrapping that up. We've uh, chatted about lots of different things and I didn't have anything else that I wanted to raise with you guys. So um, I think we're going to call that a night. Um, My thanks as ever go to everyone who has contributed to making this podcast, to my colleagues, young George and Robbie. Hooray! Robbie's finally coming back um, for joining us this week and talking through all those talking points. To band Joyce for giving us their music, which is royalty free. Thanks very much, which we use for the podcast. To producer Matt for knitting it all together and getting it out there but my final thanks to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you Dave and I will be back with a preview short looking ahead to the Fulham game at the weekend that will be out on Friday and then the rest of the team whoever's with me next week will be back to hopefully talk about three much needed points well actually not that much needed but three needed points away um, down at Fulham and another season in the Premier League in the meantime take care if you've got any questions comments suggestions you know where to reach us uh, but other time we'll be back next week I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Non and Ever podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.